and Richard Marx just slams you, baby. He gets you. Finally, someone has conquered the mighty Spears. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the hijinks. I've got a trig midterm tomorrow, and I'm being chased by Guido, the killer pimp. The opportunities. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. And the wisdom. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears with TampaBay.com. And today, a magical podcast, my friends. We've told the stories of the chubby little bellboy, the crumpled $5 bill, and we've honored his tunes. Today, we finally talk to the legend, Richard Marks. With me as always, his insults don't mean nothing to me. Times pop music critic Sean Daly. Ugh, I should have known better than to be your friend. Yeah, this podcast is going to seem like an endless summer night, isn't it? <laughs> uh, how many more Richard Marks puns? Come on, baby, this is great. We just got off the phone with Richard Marks. Where would you rank this interview? He's good. He's good. He's a storyteller, my friend. He's a storyteller, indeed. Richard Marks is playing at the Clearwater Historical Capital Theater, which I've never been to. On uh, March 18th. And you are going to be taking some lucky lady, but you haven't picked anybody yet. Right. You're so not- if you would like to go to the show with Steve, <laughs> yeah, I, send I, us a letter. Because you said no. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> I and let's face no. it, it would have been a little creepy. For those who follow the podcast for going on five years now, we all know the story of Sean Daly... A young Sean Daly. Not that young. That's a 23-year-old really? bellboy. Yeah. A 23-year-old bellboy? I was already boy? getting some gray in my hair. Yeah, you know the story. In 1993-94, I was a bellboy at the Columbia Inn in Columbia, Maryland, which served uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion, which is a historic concert uh, venue there. And as a bellboy in my ill-fitting bellboy costume, I drove Richard Marks in the courtesy van to a health center, a fitness center. And the punchline is that Richard Marks, at the end of me driving him all over the place, he get, he crum- he tipped me with a crumpled five dollar bill, and I've kind of taken issue with that. However, when I talk to him today, there's no mention <laughs> of a five dollar bill. I, no, no, you're gonna hear the interview. I tell the story. I, he, he was such a good guy. I didn't want to say, dude, because I did say the Barry Manilow tipped me ninety five bucks. And Richard could have asked, well, how much did I tip you? Yes. But would you, think, if he had, would Mark's you have answered knew. it? Would you have answered it truthfully? Yes, I would have. But also, you, okay, you can bust me on that. You can also bust me on the fact that, uh, once again, I love to swear with rock stars. And, and Richard Marks drops a couple F-bombs, which just sets me off, you know? Oh, yeah. I, loved, and I, I started getting really tough. I did it with Brian Johnson, too. But uh, but hilarious, and there's a great kicker to the interview. I mean, it's really really thoughtful. You can tell that uh, he's not uh, Richard Marx isn't just a storyteller, but he's a great songwriter. And he just knows how to to spin a narrative. But the kicker is Steve in his eternal quest to seduce every woman on the planet. Says Richard Marx, uh, I'm going to your show. What song can you sing to help me make my move? And Richard Marx just slams you, baby. He gets you. 
Finally, someone has conquered the mighty spheres. Anyway, it's a great interview. It's a lot of fun. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hey, Richard. Hey. Hey, it's Sean Daly, the music critic at the St. Pete Times. How are you? I'm good, Sean. How are you? I'm excellent. We're, we're joined today by Steve Spears, the king of the 80s. Really? I thought I was the king of the 80s. Nah. Ah. Come on, come on. Anyway, thanks for calling us today. No problem. You will be in Clearwater on March 18th at the Historic Capitol Theater, correct? Yes. That's nice. That's a well, nice I'm psyched. It's a, it'll be... Uh... It'll be the first time I've played in, in your hood in a while, and the first ever solo acoustic show I've ever done in my life. How are those different than your normal shows? Um, well, it's it's going to be considerably different because, uh, I mean, the closest thing I've done to this is, uh, you know, all these band shows all my career, and then about a year and a half ago, I started doing some shows with Matt Scannell from Vertical Horizon. Right. Um he and I started going out as, a, as an acoustic duo. And I used to explain to people that it was sort of like Simon and Garfunkel, except like we both write songs and we like each other. <laughs> right. Um, and the format was that we would open with a song of mine and, and we both play acoustic guitar and, and he would sing harmony to my lead vocal. And then we would do a Vertical Horizon song and I would play guitar and sing harmony to his lead vocal. Um, and it was really sort of a selfish, selfish excuse for Matt and and I to hang out because he lives in LA and I live in Chicago and we're best friends and we don't get to see each other that much. So, um, it became a really sort of selfish exercise that turned into a really fun way to tour and, and do shows. And so my solo thing is going to be an extension of that. I just don't have to, uh, play any of Matt's stupid songs, (laughs) (laughs) which is so hilarious. If you know, if you know anything about me, it's like, that's my favorite part of doing those shows is playing Vertical Horizon songs. But um, So it's really, it's very much a storyteller's singer-songwriter kind of thing. Um, I've always, well, not always, but after maybe uh, three or four years of touring um, from the get-go, I learned to get the joke that I wasn't really doing anything particularly important. So I started to have a lot more fun with it and kid around and tell stories in the, you know, in the shows. And this is just... A, a, a huge extension of that. Now, do you have to drastically rearrange uh, any of the songs, like, uh, you know, Don't Mean Nothing or for more of a quiet show? Well, I mean, on paper, it sounds like they would be drastically rearranged, but, um, you know, these songs, for the most part, started out this way. And um, and they evolved when I, you know, because I produced my own record, so, I mean, I would go in and, and have a, a pretty thorough arrangement in my head and, and put the right band together and and uh, layer things and I love you know I could sit there and come up with 94 guitar parts for every song if you'd let me um, but it all started with me probably 99% of the time it started with me just sitting either at the piano and writing a song or grabbing an acoustic guitar and writing a song so that's really what these arrangements are some of the songs some of the rock songs like Should Have Known Better or Don't Mean Nothing um they're just deconstructed in a way that that it uh, fits this format. But you know, I do the I do those songs. I've done the songs with Matt um, acoustically, and they, it, it, people seem to totally get it. Yeah, cool. Now, Richard Marks, before we get uh, too much further here, I gotta say, I, I, you and I have met before. Okay. okay? In about ninety three or ninety four, 
I worked at a place called the Columbia Inn in Columbia, Maryland. Okay, and that was right next to Meriwether Post Pavilion. Right. All right, and I was a bellboy there in an, in an extremely ill-fitting bell, bellboy costume. <laughs> and you okay. were staying at the Columbia Inn, which I think now is like a Sheridan or Hilton or something like that. Right. And uh, I also drove the courtesy van. All right. Oh. And I drove like Frank Jr. Uh, Frank Sancho Jr. Uh, Arrested Development. I think they were in there. Barry Manilow. I drove Barry Manilow to and from uh, Meriwether Post. He tipped me 95 bucks, which is pretty nice. Good. But uh, you were the only celebrity a rock star that I drove that sat in the front with me in really? the courtesy van. Yeah. Instead of me doing my little, like, you know, bellboy shuffle to open the back door and let you go into the, uh, the van sitting back like, you know, the big shot, you said, hey, I want to sit up front with you. Yeah. And it was really cool. And so I drove you, like, I don't know where the hell you were going. Like, you wanted to go to some exercise facility somewhere. That yeah, I right. Way the hell out there. But I drove out, dropped you off. I came back. By the time I got back, I had to go out and pick you up again. But uh, but it was great. And you were really, really fun. And uh, I remember we talked about uh, how you helped me get laid in college by, uh, <laughs> by playing your songs. And you seem really appreciative. So I just want to thank I you. I do appreciate that. I had a guy literally... Uh you know, at my house, we have, we're having some construction work done, and, and um, I just got back from India. We just we played shows in India over the weekend, so I just got back yesterday morning, and there was a note in my studio um, from this guy that was working here at the house. That he just left me this note saying, I just had to thank you so much because you helped me get so much action in high school. <laughs> so, you know, I'm glad to be, I'm glad to be uh, on the team. Is it true that uh, Lionel Richie had a role in getting you your start in music? Not in music, but he was a very pivotal part of, um, well, he was the, the impetus for me moving from Chicago to L.A. when I did. Because my plan, you know, by the time I was, uh, the end of my junior year of high school, I was, you know, I had applied to Northwestern. And, and my plan was to kind of stay in the Chicago area, take some more music classes at Northwestern, really just, frankly, to bide my time. I mean, I, I was taking music classes at night during high school in the city. Um, but I didn't have anything lined up. You know, I was, I was just, I'd written, it, you know, a dozen songs or so and certainly wanted to get a record deal and do that, but um, wasn't exactly on the path, as they say. And in the middle of my senior year, um, this demo tape of my first four or five songs that I had recorded wound up in Lionel Richie's hands and it really was a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend it was like five people removed um, and my phone number was on the cassette tape and Lionel Richie and this tells you everything you need to know about Lionel Richie Lionel Richie heard the tape the fact that he listened to the tape is mind blowing because this is 1981-82 and he was just he was just launching his solo career I mean the guy oh, didn't yeah. have time to you know listen to somebody's demo tape but he did, and he called me himself. Wow. And he was very encouraging and, and supportive, and you know, really liked my songwriting and really liked my voice and, and could recognize that it was still pretty embryonic. You know, I mean, I was just a kid. But he was the one that said, look, you know, if you end up going to college, you know, look me up after that. But if, if you 
decide you want to really get into this, you got to move to L.A. because there's nothing happening in Chicago. And so with the full support of my parents, I bailed on college, and I went out to L.A., and he hired me as a background singer on his first solo record. Um, so I was doing some session work for him. But more than that, um, he allowed me, whether I was singing on on what they were working on that day or not, he said, you have an open invitation to be here at the studio with me when I'm here. And I went to the studio every single day. I mean, there was not a day I didn't go to the studio and watch what was going on. It's a master's class. Kind of, right? Yeah, I was totally, totally, because he produced his own records as well. And um, I met some great musicians and some guys that I was a huge fan of, and they're still my friends to this day. Um, and then within a few months of that, um, Lionel, recommended me to Kenny Rogers as a background singer because Kenny was working on a new record. And this is when Kenny Rogers was, was still, you know, very dominant figure in the in record sales. And so I got hired for a couple of days of background vocals on his record. And one day I overheard Kenny telling his producer that they were still short a song and that he needed a song that was, you know, he kind of described the song that they needed. And I had a session again with him the next day. So I went home to my apartment that night and I wrote a song like that. And literally my whole body was shaking the next day because I knew I could get fired over this. But um, I told him, I said, you know, I overheard you yesterday and I'm a songwriter and I wrote this song. And Kenny was nice enough to let me play it for him. And he cut it. And it was a number one country song. What was it? A song called Crazy. I guess It was the launch of my songwriting career, but but that opportunity would not have happened had Lionel not said to Kenny, "Hey, you know, there's this kid from Chicago. He's 18 or 19, but he's um, he's a real studio pro, and he you know, he blends really well, and he helps arrange." I mean, he, Lionel was impressed with my um, studio chops, you know, which I had learned from being in Chicago. My dad was a jingle producer and jingle composer and stuff, so I did a lot of session work with him when I was a kid. So I I walked into that Lionel Richie situation at least having my studio legs, you know, I, I, I knew what I was doing even as a kid, but it was all that, you know, it was very serendipitous and, uh, you can't plan shit like that. It just, you know, I was just really, really lucky. So let's skip ahead to 1987 then a few years to 87 and, uh, your debut album comes out four hit singles, four hit singles. I mean, were you a, like a kid in a candy store? You know, here you are, you're a young guy, your debut album, all of a sudden you're the biggest thing in music right i mean were you what was it like for you was that like i mean did you go crazy no i mean in retrospect i wish i had i wish i had uh not gone crazy because it's just not my nature you know i've never been much of a partier you know I'm, I'm a drug virgin to this day um come on no seriously no not even weed dude i mean like come it was just on, what? no i mean if if anything i would have uh you know, when I was doing session work and stuff and in the 80s, you know, blow was everywhere. Right. And a couple of my really good friends, especially some studio musicians and stuff, they were, I mean, in retrospect, they were having, they had issues with it. But it was everywhere. And I remember being offered blow regularly and thinking to myself, the only reason I'm not going to do blow is because I know I'm going to love it. Yeah, right. And I could see the damage it was doing to people already, and I just thought, I don't need that shit. And weed was never an issue because I'm so smoke-phobic, and it, it you know, would f*** with my voice. And 
So no, I mean, I, you know, I, I like, uh, I love a few kamikazes, but uh, no, I'm not a, I'm never going to drug guy. So um, that was probably part of it, but you know, to be honest with you, all I remember was working my balls off. I remember the first three years from 87 to 90, I toured 30 months out of those three years. And I didn't feel like I had earned the right to be a kid in a candy store. I didn't feel like I had earned the right to really enjoy it. To me, it was all about how do we sustain this? What's the next move? Um, I was my, my life consisted of 6.30 a.m. radio performances and interviews and then going and doing in-stores and then going to Soundcheck and then right from Soundcheck to some more interviews on TV or whatever and then doing a gig and then immediately getting off the stage and having phoners in Japan and Australia and going to sleep on the bus for a few hours and waking up and doing it all again. Um, The truth is that it was such a blur that my only regret is that I didn't soak it in. And I, I think, you know, I've run into a lot of people that, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same situation. When it's happening to you, you can't appreciate what's really happening. You don't really have a perspective. You know, you're just working your ass off. You're just treading water. Because my attitude was always, "This can go away tomorrow." Um, luckily for me, you know, I, I didn't really hit that wall for a good eight, eight or nine years. Um, but when the when it did happen, when we did finally put out the record that went double plywood instead of double platinum. Um, <laughs> it was not such a big shock for me, you know, because I never, I never perceived myself as an artist that was going to be innovative and, you know, on the charts for 30 years and all that. You know, I, it just, I knew that you had to have a certain kind of level of controversy and all that stuff that I just didn't possess. But I always knew that I could go back and write songs and produce records for for other people because that's really how I started. So when that dreaded day came when I thought, okay, my my turn, you know, in terms of having hits as a singer on the radio, my turn is over. It wasn't like the end of the world. It was like, how do I retreat and attack in a new direction? And that's kind of what I did. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Does it, does it kind of now you're an artist too? I mean, you paid your dues for years there in the '80s before you know you really struck gold. Does it kind of drive you crazy when you see shows like American Idol where here's these people who become pop stars overnight? It doesn't drive me crazy. It's just it's an extension of um, a bigger issue for me, which is what's frustrating for me is that I still get completely fired up every day to write songs and make records and and I'm very blessed that I still have an opportunity to make music that is going to get heard um, not not so much as uh, from an art, artist standpoint but you know I'm still producing and working I got a song on the new Lifehouse record which I'm really excited about and so the I, the, the concept of rolling up my sleeves and writing a new song today is still as exciting as it's ever been but I'm not inspired by the music that's going on right now. That's what's a drag, is that, you know, the first 10 years of my career, my contemporaries were Sting and Peter Gabriel and U2 and, you know, a lot of artists that were the antithesis of what's happening right now. These were guys that really knew their craft, that, that really paid their dues, and they they kept the bar high so that, you know, when I would hear the new Def Leppard record, or I'd hear the new Peter Gabriel record, I'd go, F-. 
I suck. <laughs> you know, I'm not worthy. I need to do better. And it would really push me to write better songs and make better records and try harder. Almost like peer pressure. Um, now, I don't, first of all, I don't hear a whole... I mean, there's a lot of great music out there, but it's mostly by bands that most people have never heard of. You know, you know I, I, my iPod is full of bands like Sick Puppies and The Afters and, and Cavo and, you know, a lot of bands that don't have a huge following. Um, but that's where I draw my inspiration from, are, are from new bands that are paying their dues, but they're not having the kind of success that, you know, Chris Allen and Adam Lambert are having. Um, but I, I wish, and it's no, you know, I'm not saying anything about Chris Allen or Adam Lambert's talent. I'm just saying that the way they got in front of everybody in such a big way doesn't inspire me. Does Does American Idol, in a sense, then isn't it kind of like almost? It's almost like it's watering down the music business. It always has. I mean, look, you know, people forget that before American Idol, we had Star Search, and no one sustained a career from Star Search. And if you look at all the years we've had American Idol, the only careers out of all those people that have been put in front of the, the public, the only careers that have come out of American Idol, there's like three of them, four of them. Chris Daughtry, Carrie Underwood. Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. That's about it, right? Yeah. So what does that tell you? You don't have to argue with us. I mean, that's why we call the show Stuck in the 80s. I mean, we're, we're with you with the Peter Gabriel and the U2. It's brutal. It's brutal because... Uh, you know, and it's really weird for me because Randy Jackson and I have been friends forever. He played on a bunch of my records. Randy Jackson is about as talented a musician as there is in the world. Um, he's Because of American Idol, he's become almost a cartoon, you know. But And I love that he's become very famous and wealthy from that show, but it really doesn't show people how deep his talent is. Um, and Randy, my friendship with Randy aside, I, I just I couldn't. I couldn't hate that show. I haven't watched the show since season one. I just don't pay attention to it. It just is meaningless to me. It's just karaoke. It's just, it's not about artistry. It's, well, it's uh, yeah. I don't know, I don't really know what it is, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a vehicle, and it's, it's also, I think, uh, really lowered the public's perception of what is good singing and what isn't. You know, just because you can sing loud doesn't mean you're good. I had an opportunity to uh, to interview Cara Diaguardi. Who they, I love. Who, yeah, I was just going to say that. I'm sure you guys have, uh, you know, have crossed paths. Uh, yeah, we wrote a song times. together last year. Yeah, I know. you. I, I was going to say, so I talked to Cara for about a half hour, and more about her songwriting, okay? Yeah. Because I was much more interested. I didn't care whether Howard Stern was coming to be the new judge. No. And I didn't really care about Cara's, um, not that I didn't care, but I wanted to talk about her because I think she's such an interesting songwriter. And she had something like 32 album, individual album credits on 21 albums in 2009 alone. And songwriting is a very passionate thing for her, uh, as is with you, too. What, what song did you, did you guys do together? It hasn't come out yet. We haven't found the right artist for it yet, but it's this really killer song. Um, and we just, I, I was in LA and, and a mutual friend of ours had been trying to get us together and, and we met, it's actually kind of an interesting story. We met two years ago, I was in LA and, 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 uh, 
we just arranged to get together um, to say hi to each other. And she was she claimed to be a fan of mine, and I really liked what I was hearing of her. And so we just hung out together for like an hour. And um, and there was a guitar sitting there, and I was just strumming this guitar. And and we were as we were talking, and she said, "That's really I like those changes." And she started to sing this melody over it. And I said, "Oh yeah, well maybe someday this will become our first song." And I, one of us, I guess I must have just put it in my phone or something, you know. But we never, we didn't work on it. You know, we were just hanging out. So six or eight months later, I'm going through little song ideas because I've got tons of them on my phone at all times. And I'm listening to this thing and I'm going, what the f*** is this? This is really <laughs> cool. But I didn't remember what it was. And I kept listening to the voice and I was like, oh my God, it's Kara. So I called her and I said, hey, listen to this. And I played it for over the phone. She went, oh, my God, that's really good. <laughs> that's good. So, we, so, like, two weeks later, I was in L.A., and I went up to her house, and we finished the song, and um, um, we both loved the song. We just haven't found the right home for it yet, but she's a great singer. She's a doll. You know, she's obviously, um, you know, she's, she's got a great career carved out for herself, and she's beautiful, and she, I'm, a, I'm a fan. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, in 91, uh, you had the song Hazard, mm-hmm. and I think that for a lot of people... The first time I remember hearing it on the radio, I was like, wait a minute, this is Richard Marks? I mean, it was a huge hit for you. It's not like it's some sort of B-side. But it really seemed like it was a drastic, uh, at least to my ear, songwriting change. Like maybe you were trying something different. I wrote that in the back of the tour bus on the on the, we, you know we were doing this 15 month long world tour for uh, the second album which was called Repeat Offender. So I, I've always written a lot of songs on the road because I like I said you know I don't party and I don't so there's a lot of downtime um, and I would usually turn a lot of that time into work and, and writing new songs and stuff. And I was listening a lot at that time to um, some music by Daniel Lanois. Oh, right, great. Uh, produced all those Dylan albums? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a marvelous producer. He's produced U2 and Dylan and Emmylou Harris, and he produced Wrecking Ball for Emmylou Harris. And, but he's also made some um, solo records, and they're very um, very spooky, sort of ethereal, um, beautiful music, you know? And I was listening to a lot of that, along with whatever else I was listening to at the time. And it kind of put me in this frame of mind, and I and I had written this piece of music, and I, all I knew from the from the music of Hazard was that it couldn't be a love song, and it couldn't be a political song, and it couldn't be anything like I had ever written before. And so I started creating the story with characters, and I don't even remember how I I, I honestly don't remember what the what the basis was of this of this how I said it in Nebraska. I think that was just a a word that came with the melody or something. And the more I worked on the song, the dumber I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was the dumbest song I'd ever tried to write. But my wife heard me working on it one day, and she stopped, and she said, what is that? And I said, oh, it's just, it's so lame. It's this stupid song. And I kind of showed her what it was, and she said, that is a smash. And I went, no, no, it's not. And I almost, like, to spite her, to like to show her, I finished it and recorded it, thinking it would just be this album cut, if it even made the album. But everybody flipped out over it, and it became a number one song in like 12 countries or something like that, and it was top 10 here, and 
and it's uh, one of my most famous songs. So, you know, I've never wanted an argument since then with my wife. <laughs> well, it really, um, it really seemed to uh, also spawn this mythology, didn't it? People are still trying to figure out who killed Mary. Yeah, Was it it's like, every, I mean, literally, I swear to God, like every, at least every month, someone will ask me about it. And it's just mind-blowing to me because I can't believe that anybody gives a shit. But yeah. um, the truth is that I did intentionally write it as an unsolved mystery. I never, you know, the, it was the record company that, that tried to perpetuate it into this, um, you know, they tried to sponsor contests on MTV. Who killed Mary? I was like, what are you doing? There is no answer to that question. Right. It's not in the song. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to contrive some thing so you can, you know... It, I remember just being annoyed by the whole thing, but I loved that people were paying attention to the lyric and they wanted to know what happened to this, these characters. And I think part of that was that the video we made was really cool. It was, um, you know, it was directed by this guy Michael Hausman, who was, who was an indie filmmaker at the time. So I wasn't going with the with the traditional video guys, you know. Um, and there's no performance in the whole video. It's just it's all sort of filmmaking. And there's some pretty and, good acting um, from uh, Richard Marx as well. What's that? There's some pretty good acting from you. In oh, I don't know about that, but you know, it was. I surrounded myself with real actors, you know, and yeah. and um, it was fun. It was really, really a fun. The whole experience of writing Hazard and recording it and do and, and seeing it become, you know, one of the bigger hits of my songwriting catalog was exciting because it's just like you said initially. It was just such an oddball. It was so not. Um, it wasn't, not only was it not only not like anything I had ever done, but it was nothing like anything on the radio. So March 18th, um, you're playing Clearwater. I have two seats. I know for a fact that are going to be in the first ten rows. I have not decided yet who to bring to your concert. One question, one last question. What song should I wait for by the great Richard Marks before I make my big move on my date? Well, how tall is he? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I love it. Uh, sorry. Yes, thank um, you. I think you should wait for... Well, I haven't, you know, I'm still working on the set list. The, probably the sexiest song in the show is, um, it's a song that was on the same album as Hazard. It's a song called Keep Coming Back. And I cut it at the time. I, I was trying to sort of do a real authentic kind of R&B record. Um, not like a hip-hop record, but like R&B. And so I had Luther Vandross sing background vocals on it, and I had... These amazing. I, it's not Randy playing bass on that one. Actually, it's this guy Nathan East that you know has played with Clapton and um, all kinds of people. But um, but I do it alone, just on acoustic guitar and lyrically, especially. It's um, it's a pretty sexy romantic song that I think uh, that might be your that might be your soundtrack to make your move. There you go, Steve. <laughs> That's fantastic. Hey, Richard, thanks for your time today. My pleasure, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. See you soon.
So there you go. Richard Marks, baby, you turned red when he got you. How I, tall is he? I love it. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking he's going to say, um, you know, hold on to the night, Spearsy. That's uh, the one to wait for. And I no. love it. No, that's such a smart interview. He doesn't give you right here waiting. He doesn't give you the, the, the normal thing. By the way, I uh, asked that question about Hazard, and he gave a fantastic answer. Hazard's my favorite Richard Marks song. What's your favorite Richard Marks song? Easy, easy. It's uh, Endless Summer Nights. A lot of people might not remember that we honored that song about 60 podcasts ago. I am one of those people that does right. not remember. We put out what I still think is our best podcast ever. And I know a lot of people love the last two or three shows we've done, but a couple summers ago, we did one called The Music and Movies of Summer. Really? And we did our five favorite summer movies, and we did our five favorite summer songs, and I believe Endless Summer Nights was number two. Number one was uh, Y&T Summertime Girls. Oh, Summertime Girls. Go back and listen to that show. I mean, I it makes me happy every time I hear What's it. What's the skit? Is the skit the road trip skit? Road no. trip skit. Is yeah. that where you're like a Chewbacca or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. You remember that. What stories do I do we tell? You tell a couple, right? About like, Do I tell the cockroach story? You might tell the cockroach. That might be the spring break one. Boy, it's, it's tough to remember. <laughs> I don't know. I they don't all know. blend together, my friends. Anyway, so Richard Marks is great. Thank you, Richard. Um, if you live in the Tampa Bay area, go see him March 18th at uh, the Capitol Theater. And you'll see Spearsy making his move. During the song, keep coming back. Yeah, any and song your that hairy loser. knuckles will be crawling over some poor unsuspecting victim. <laughs> if anyone in the row behind me screws with me during that <laughs> moment, I'm gonna be very upset. I might go just to screw with you. Yeah, yeah that's great. You should make your move during Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what's gonna be a hazard on this show. <laughs> <laughs> the Saggies. <laughs> Ah, by the sound of the tone, it must be time for reader mailbag. I just spit water all over. I love your segues. That's the worst one ever, isn't it? <laughs> I spit water all over the studio. <laughs> wow, that's very funny. <laughs> I don't even know. I just wanted to do some segues. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. Oh, crap. Oh, it's a fun show. Yes, it is reader mailbag. Oh, we have one letter. Oh, man. This letter, this woman, I think it's a woman, uh, <laughs> loves Spearsy so much, it's unbelievable. Hello, Stevie Weeby. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. I'm sorry. We're, you're a little giddy right here, 80s Nation. Hello, Steven Sean. I'm sorry. This is from 80s Fangirl or Exy, for short. Kind of like the nickname. Exy. 80s Fangirl or Exy, the future Mrs. Spears. Hello, Steve and Sean. I have spent the last year or so catching up on all of the Stuck in the 80s podcasts and swore that when I was all caught up, I would send you an email to thank you for a wonderfully entertaining journey back in time. Sounds like a Disney ride. <laughs> These are the times. Remember uh, that Carousel Progress? Yeah, I love that. You're a Disney guy. Yeah. You need to find a girl who's a Disney girl, too. Disney girls are kind of weird. Let me stop no, there. Don't yeah, say they could that. go. They could go either way. Sometimes they're teetering. You like that? They teeter. <laughs> they teeter on craziness. You know who else? Do you know who else teeters? Women who hate Disney, equally untrustworthy. Yeah, Guys, find someone in the middle. Xy probably loves Disney. <laughs> 
Yours was the first podcast I have ever listened to, and I have to say that it was love at first listen. There is not enough time for me to write all the times that you have made me laugh hysterically, and there's a parenthetical that says Sean Zingers, pulled at my heartstrings, parenthetical Steve's breakup, please don't hate me because I'm from Michigan. Do you hate her for that? I thought that was Maine. Now I do hate her. <laughs> and remind me to cut loose to some great songs. Thanks, Gina and Kathy. All I can say is a million times, thank you. In the 80s, I was one of three Asian-American girls in my neighborhood. I can't speak for my brother and sister, but as a kid, I felt like I was always crying. Oh, wait. Sorry. I was always caught between two worlds. We did not have cable and were told that we could not even dream of being like our American friends. Everything was a constant culture clash. That's interesting, isn't it? Being told you can't be like your American friends? Jeez. Tough. Um, however, when I was about eight or nine years old, my father brought home a Betamax VCR. From that point on, I discovered where I truly belonged, in the worlds created by the great late John Hughes. My first movie love, and it continues to be now that I'm a parent, is Mr. Mom. You love that one. Exy should be all over me. I'm like Michael Keaton, baby. 220, 221, <laughs> whatever it takes. But the girl I wanted to be <clears throat> was any character played by Molly Ringwald. Her characters always seemed to be as confused as I felt. But in the end, she always figured out exactly who she was and stayed true to herself. Now, as a 30-something mother of two boys, I know exactly who I am. I'm a bit of a brain, an athlete when I play with my kids, definitely a basket case at times, absolutely a princess, and occasionally a criminal in the most innocent of context. As a wife of 17 years, a mom, and a business owner, I have many moments of insanity, but thanks to your hard work and extremely entertaining podcast, I know that I have a way to save my sanity by putting in my earbuds and reminding myself who I am and that I belong eternally stuck in the 80s. Many thanks, 80s fangirl. Exy. Nice. It's a great last line. Yeah. That's really nice. Huh. I'd like to see a picture of Exy. <laughs> hey, you said it this time, not me. <laughs> no, it, like innocent. Friend me on Facebook, Exy. Oh, you know what about the uh, Facebook thing? I'm trying to reach out to people. You know, we never really told the story. And I don't want to tell this story. About the family dinner <laughs> at the Spears house. <sighs> this is, you know what? This is an outrage. So there's a family dinner. This is this happens. You know, a couple I'd love to see ago. that family dinner. Ordinary people. <laughs> Go ahead. So there's a family dinner at the old Spears Ponderosa, and um, I get ambushed by my cousin, who tells me that our other scattered cousins throughout the country are upset <laughs> with this mysterious guy named Sean Daly, who keeps trying to friend them on Facebook. You know, and I, I don't know what to say. The the, the older, uh, you know, aunts and uncles are kind of looking at me suspiciously. Like, you know, who is, the, who is this Sean Daly? Who is Sean Daly, for Christ's sakes? What's going on? And so I try to explain the whole concept of fan pages and Facebook and how you friend somebody. And my mom... I'm a television personality? My mom caps it all off at the very end <laughs> by saying, someone who's into computers that much probably loves porn. <laughs> Conversation over. Dinner continues. What? I've talked no, I've to no your mom even, before. I know. She's convinced you're a porn addict now. <laughs> Why? Because like, I friended your cousin? Because you tried to and friend you know my what? cousin. I probably friended your cousins because on the stupid Facebook page, it was some uh, string about like how funny Sean is. And I'm like, oh, they seem to be a, a Sean fan. I will reach out to them and say thank you for being a Sean fan. Enter my wonderful world. Come to my Facebook page and gallivant and gamble and have fun. Yeah. 
and talk about porn. <sighs> so your whole family thinks I'm a weirdo. Oh, and then you didn't even tell the part that I said that I, I remarked that I thought your sister was mildly attractive. Oh, yeah. And then her husband wanted to punch my face in. He does. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Don't these people listen to the show? He's ready to kill you. What? what? I, had to, I had to, like, literally calm him down. <laughs> what? I t- my, he, he's, he's very jealous. My sister is an attractive girl, is she not? I can't say anything. No. <laughs> Throughout my lifetime, my friends have always made the same mis- routine mistake. They they compliment my sister when she's got her boyfriend standing right next to her. Pow! So no the whole it was an anti Sean Daly, and I bet what you know you smug I son stood, of a no, bitch. You I stood up for it. you. I stood up and I you fought like a You're warrior. Like, Finally, I stood up like ter- a warrior, and I stood up in your honor. And what do I get in return? <laughs> Richard Marks thinks Spears was dating a guy. <laughs> you, um, I get nothing. And you you like porn more than I do. That's a, the sad thing. Your mom doesn't even know you're a porn freak. There's pirates. <laughs> I'm a single man in the age of the internet. What do you think? <laughs> Jesus. All right. Tell the people how yes. they can send us more letters, but not your flipping cousins all over the country. And no porn. Mail them to stuckinese at com or look for us on Facebook, but not Sean's page. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. Hey, it's time where I play a snippet of a movie from the 80s. Winners might get a band sticker. You, we, we Honestly, stop promising band stickers. If you send me it an address. It annoys me when you even say band really? stickers. Really? What, what, what would you have me say, Sean? <laughs> I don't know, but you're not sending them anywhere. So nobody sends me addresses. <laughs> send me an address. You get nothing. You know what you get for winning what we mentioned your name. That's gift enough. Okay, fair enough. Pay attention. Here was last week's clip. Good morning, my neighbors. Yeah, yes, that's Eddie Murphy from Coming to America. Strangely, no one got it right. Strangely, you know, there's um two, is the two or three people who got it wrong, and they got it wrong repeatedly. Like they kept guessing, and I kept telling them no, no. They're like World According to Garp, no. <laughs> Moscow and the Hudson, no. That's funny. Uh, there are literally like fifty winners on here. Should I read them? Go for it. The winners of this week's mystery movie moment are Andy Wankel in Minneapolis, Billy Zoom of Northampton, Mass., Chris from St. Louis in Las Vegas. I have no idea what that means. That's what he said. Maggie in Milwaukee, Katie S., Knowles5150 from Mount Olive, Illinois, Jay from Cincinnati, Candace Halfacre, Dano in Palatine. Lyle in Vermont, Todd in Minnesota, Captain Pittsburgh. You know, Captain Pittsburgh, he's like our new hot fan. Yeah. Everybody wants to he's know about He's a new base this. note. Yeah, everybody wants to know what's going on with Captain Pittsburgh. <laughs> Gail in D.C., Ian in Australia, and Mooselet in Brisbane, Australia, who is sending us some treats soon, including Vegemite and delicious Tim Tams. <laughs> the, the favorite cookie of Australia. Is the Tim Tam? Yeah. Can't I wait. I just like saying it. Tim Tam. Tim Tam. It's like a, Tim, it's like a it's like, malted biscuit. It's like my red rum. Tim Tam. Tim Tam. It's going to be good. Tim We're going to put some Vegemite on top of it. It's going to be delicious. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Is it your class or is it our class? It's our class. Big brain. If you know it, email us at stuckinies at com because next week it'll be our honor to call you a wiener. Ah, the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. Hey, I'll play a tiny clip of a song from the 80s, and if you can get it right, according to Sean, I can only offer you um, a brief moment in uh, hey, I, podcast infamy. I, Stephen, Stephen, can I interject for a second? 
Why don't we have listeners record uh, their own wieners? <laughs> Why don't we have people call it. in and say, this week's wiener is brought to you by Candace Halfacre. And Candace says, wiener. We can. Do you th- what, guess wiener each week. <laughs> this week's wiener <laughs> is brought to you by Mooselet in Brisbane, Send them Australia. In. Send in your wieners. What do you think about that? Send in your wieners. <laughs> Same email address. No, you know what? I, thank, God those, thank God those pictures are going to you. Yeah. That'd be my last day on the job. It'd be worth it. <laughs> my inbox is flooded with wieners. <laughs> Great. Okay. Pay attention. Here was last week's mystery tune. That's No One Lives Forever by Oingo Boingo. I bet you don't even remember that we did an Oingo Boingo show, do you? No. Was that when we did two in one day? Yeah, that and the cars, I think. <laughs> that was a rough day. Wow. We used to do that all the time. I don't know. If people realize now we, we would sit down like once every 10 days and record a show. Right. Lately, it's been a little bit more often. Back in the old days, we would literally record like two a week. Oh, man. It was brutal. Because someone was always on vacation You know, back when we had money to but spend. But let me say something here. As the curmudgeon, the curmudgeon of the show... We used to do them back then for fun, for love of the game, even. And we didn't care if they were perfect or, or had content, you know? But now, right, we have to be 100% every time out of the gate, right? Am I, come on. No, no, I'll give you that. And people are like, ooh. I like that last show. No, we got to be a boo bird today. We got pounded by a boo bird today. Ooh, I didn't like hockey. Should we you call know? him out? No, I don't call him. Uh, no, he's a nice guy. He's a friend of the show. I just want to say he's Canadian, it. though. <laughs> he is. He's just bitter about the Olympics. I think so. So it's like, you know, uh, it's like, oh, yeah, your shows were good because they had content in them. It's like, you know what? You want more shows? We'll give you more shows. But they can't all be Oscar winners. Billy Zoom? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not Billy Zoom. Heard. It's not Billy Zoom. He's new. We love you. Northampton. Woo. All right. Where am I? I'm sorry. I went on a rant. But I'm not wrong there. I'm not no, wrong. No. Name the winners. I don't even want to. No, everyone's losers this week. A lot of people uh, got this. Yeah, yeah. Your winners are Wally Walters in San Diego, Bass Note, who got lot rave reviews. Everybody loved Bass Note for his Peter Gabriel show. Rave reviews. Well I bet, done, Bass. I bet he got chills when Richard Marx said uh, Peter Gabriel. Yes, I don't remember <laughs> that. Bass Note, Kevy Metal, Valmont God. That'd be a really good like alt metal band, Valmont God. <laughs> Nicholas Wolf, Ralph in Clearwater, Pinhead, GT in San Diego, Becky Rebello, who says, I would really love to attend the Stuck in the 80s event sometime. Might I suggest New York the week before Christmas? We'll be there for my 40th birthday, and I don't know when I'll make it back to the East Coast. I read that a lot more provocatively than I know. it was written, but. Uh, I, does, it, does that impl- who does, Who's we? Is she married? Or is uh, she bringing yes, her sorority yes, sisters? Yes, Becky. Becky. <laughs> Becky Ravello is married, I believe. She's a looker, though. We don't have any single fans of this show anymore. Oh my god! You know it's what? True. Put away look, your t- put away your, your bait no, and tackle no, 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 box no. Look for at a our second. Facebook stop trolling for chicks for two seconds. Oh, I've stopped. I- I'm going to stop for the whole year. Oh, I've heard about this. this Tell is, the people your new thing. I'm thinking about making 2010 the the year of no women. <laughs> I'm going to focus on the show and our friendship. Oh, great. Our French, yeah, well, we're going to go fishing. <laughs> we're going to build a shed in your backyard. <laughs> you can sleep there? Yeah. You can sleep there if you know what I mean. 
This is I might have this, to. I don't have time for the women. I might have to sleep there. Anyway, um, play this week's Name That 80s tune. This week's uh, is actually a montage given to us by the great David Peterkovsky. I love Peterkovsky, but he's hard on us, too. More content, guys. You know what, Peterkovsky? You know what? Send in some content. Oh, wait, he did. That's right. All right, sorry. Pay attention. This is, this is a falsetto montage. Ooh, there are five... He's smart about these. Five clips. You've got to get them all in order. one of them. Ah, spacer. <laughs> Pay attention, here it comes. If you can name all five in a row, you know what I'm going to do? If you say pants stickers, I'm going to like... I think I still have the the Night Ranger... No, I still think I have the Night Ranger autographed... T-shirt that they signed when they were down in Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> You're just trying to. No, 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 no. I think Cuba I'm 99 sure I still have it. Um, it's in Cuba's going to kill you for. No, saying he knows that. I have it. We were waiting for the right contest. This is it. It's time to give it away before the moths. You gotta get it. give it away. Okay. What is that from? You uh, too. <laughs> what tour? Last night on Earth. <laughs> is it? <laughs> Forget it. Yeah. Wow. Sorry, that's not even an uh, '80s song. I know. It just popped into my head. If you know all five, email them to stuckings at tempe.com and that t shirt can be yours. Please, please tell me now. Please, please tell me now. BPTM. They gotta do that too. We need uh, like a hip hop remix of PPTMN. Yeah, anyone? Tell Peter Kofsky to get on that. Yeah, how about that? I'm thinking up content. Uh, DP. <laughs> I just don't that don't use those not initials. <laughs> not good. Wave no, off. Don't Wave tell off. your mom you know it. But forget it. Yeah. Okay. This Sean wants more DP. It's from uh, an enraged Marty U. And to be honest, uh, Marty U seems to be quite upset with me about something I said last show, and yet neither one of us can remember how we angered Marty U. So I, I don't remember. However, what I had for lunch. you're the one who said Marty F you. I suggested it. I suggested his middle name yet, might listen to be his Frank. P- listen to his PPTMN. I will take the high road in response to Sean Daly's disdainful remarks in this past week's episode. But just know that the Team Daly roster is now short a man. And yet you're the one who said Marty F you. No, no, I suggested it. An incendiary his- caustic comment. Marty Fitzgerald U is Marty F you. <laughs> you just see you keep saying it. Keep saying it. Uh, I'm saying it my, my question head. is this: You guys are at a karaoke bar. <laughs> yeah, that's not about right. Yeah, uh, Steve's on his seventh Jack and Coke. Sean's almost through his first Bartles and James. What is this? I when would I do? Wait, why are you wild turkey Jack and, and Coke? And I'm drinking a wine cooler. This is all. This is all out of whack. First why of all, be... I, why can't? Why am I nursing a wine cooler? <laughs> you're a wuss. <laughs> uh, and someone offers each of you a microphone. Steve jams him his up his rear end, but Sean decides to sing a song. Sean, what song would you sing? Now, let me finish that. Ah, me, I'm partial to Jesse's girl or maybe Sister Christian. Is that mainstream enough for you daily? Jeez, you is pissed. Um, okay, so we're in a karaoke bar, and Marty, you wants to know what 80s song Ugh. we would pick to sing. And this will happen one day. Maybe we'll be with Becky Rebello in New York. And we're celebrating her 40th birthday. With her sorority sisters. With her, her, her dirty sorority sisters. And we all go to a karaoke bar. Steve Spears, you're up first. What 80s song are you singing? Uh, can I pick from two? Yeah. The old standby is always uh, Keep on Loving You by Aria Speedwagon. Oh, really? I can't do it anymore, though. 
for some reason. Can't hit the high notes? No, can't. Because you're 67 years can't old. Can't carry the notes. Yeah. So I'm going to, and I know this sounds uh, like I'm sucking, I'm gonna keep the, on sucking up you, the Marxy. Marty, you. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not, it sounds like I'm sucking up the Marxy, but I'm going to say hold on to the nights. How come you're doing like these sappy ballads? How come you're not rocking the joint? I'm not a Motley Crue kind of guy. It's Re- Becky Rebello's 40th birthday, man. You're bringing the party Oh, down. my God. There'll be like a spotlight as I sing it right to her. Hold on yeah. to the night. Okay, here's Somebody's, my thing. Oh, that was beautiful. I'm going to offer a little public service announcement, all right? If you're at a karaoke bar, Spears, yeah. and this is like a non-80s division, and you want to rock that joint, I got two songs for you. Sweet Caroline. It's cliche, but the place is going to go nuts. Yeah, but it's, it's or done every time. Friends in Low Places. The place, I'm telling you, cliche, the place is going to rock, and you're going to go home with some tail. I'm no, telling you that right now. No. However, I won't go when there. I'm at Becky Rebello's 40th birthday party, and I get the karaoke mic after I badmouth Marty Yu <laughs> to the Big Apple, I'm going to rock Billy Idol's version of Money Money. I can't tell you how much I hate that song. <laughs> what? And you know what? And everyone's going to be like slitting the wrist when you do, uh, you know, on keep on loving you. I love Richard Marks, but let him sing it, baby. Come no, on. No, it's... And then, uh, come on. Come oh, on. That's... You know what's sad? Money, money. Hey, get laid. Get fuck. Come on. Woo. Oh, I know. And, you're, and they're going to hoist you up on yes! their shoulders. I'm... And everyone's going to be like, oh, Sean you know Dale saved the, the pictures, whole trip. Baby. I look good now. I'm off fried food. I'll go back up to my hotel room and sob. Pull out the box of Kleenex. Ew! <laughs> it's gonna end badly. I don't want to know about your box of Kleenex. <sighs> Boy, you had to take it to a really low, sad place. I got to give you though that Sister Christian by uh, which is Marty's pick. That's a good pick. Do you say that? Yeah. Oh, uh, did I read that? I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, you did. You're so consumed with the idea of defeating me and Marty. You and Marty. You that you neglected the fact that he had a better song than both of us. Yes, he did. As always, you can always send us uh, PPTMNs. Uh, email them to stuckinaseyattampa.com, but please put PPTMN in the subject line or they will be lost with all the... Uh, also, we- send us your wieners. <laughs> yeah, along with the wiener photos. If you're not ready to give up on mullets in Madonna, log on to Stuck in the 80s, just one of the many blogs you'll find at tampabay.com, the website of the St. Petersburg Times. Relive the music, movies, and culture of the greatest decade ever, only at tampabay.com. And we are back. This might be our most profane episode ever. I know. Not for the squeamish. <laughs> I, I really want to apologize. And, uh, I, what I, I said I goes, really goes totally against the whole idea of building our friendship in 2010 <laughs> and the shed and the fishing. So um, I'd like to make it up to you by taking you, by formally offering you my ticket, my, my second ticket, to come sit with me, two hetero, sexually confident males, and watch Richard Marks with me March 18th in Clearwater. Um, it's going to take more than that, Steve. <laughs> You cut me real deep just now. <laughs> uh, maybe I will. When do you need a, uh, a firm commitment? Uh, well, I'm no, not good with commitments. Knowing Steve. my social life, you can pretty much tell me five, <laughs> five minutes before we leave. Uh, I'd like to go, but two things. That one, that's my uh, birthday week. So you'll, like be in, so you'll either be approaching the doghouse or uh, in the doghouse. It's also the NCAA tournament, baby. Syracuse, number one seed. Sorry. Priorities. <laughs> but now that I'm good pals with uh, Richard Marks, uh, maybe I'll go. We can hang out backstage and do have, blow with them. And plus, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it. But I have it all set up. That halfway through, hold on to the nights. He's going to stop everything, call you on stage, and hand you a one hundred dollar bill, <laughs> thus repairing 
all the mental damage that has been done for the last 20 years to your life. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? it? That would be very, very Pretty funny. sure it's going to happen, but you're going to have to show up at the show to find out. That'd be very good. All right, I'm coming. Okay. <laughs> I'll be there. Okay, well, until Richard Marks takes the stage, it's just myself and Sean Daly, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Duck in the 80s is produced by the St. Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for providing music for the credits. Read the blog at blogs.tampabay.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes.